Our lesson this morning is a blackboard lesson, electronic blackboard, which we have used uh, before. And the subject we're going to look at this morning is a subject that is extremely familiar to us, a passage of Scripture, if you will, that extremely is extremely familiar. It has been called the golden text of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. You know, you go to professional sporting events or you see them on television and so many times you will see that passage sometimes John 3 5 referring to the new birth you'll see just that scripture reference someone holding it up in the crowd or John 3 16 the golden text of the Bible but we're looking at this passage to point out that while it is familiar you can take the Bible and let the Bible do its own teaching, to show that people can be reached and appealed to by such teaching. You know, it's unfortunate that the most familiar passage, perhaps in the New Testament, is the most missed or misused passage. More people are misled and confused by a preacher's misuse of John 3.16 than perhaps by any other passage in all of God's Word. Well, I don't believe we ought to turn a passage over to people to misuse it without telling them that they are being misled and deceived by what many teach in this text. I'd like for us in the first part of our lesson this morning, looking at John 3.16, to look at this passage and to see some modern teaching that is denied by the passage itself. What is denied by the passage itself? Well, the first two words in the passage are for God. For God. And that denies, that denies atheism, doesn't it? You have God in John 3.16 and so you are denying atheism. If there is a God, then the atheists are are completely wrong. It defies and denies the doctrine of our day that is uh, becoming more and more prevalent. I believe that atheism has grown more in the last several years than, than it did in perhaps 1900 years of time. And that's just a, a small amount of time. A major problem facing our world today, facing this country today, is a problem of atheism and infidelity, unbelief. The atheist denies that God is and obviously denies the inspiration of Scripture, tries to destroy man's faith in God. It's a problem that we face today. You know, probably 50 years ago, it would have been difficult to find an infidel anywhere. There would be very, very few, and today they're everywhere. The unbelievers are in our community, in religious organizations that deny Scripture, even claiming to be uh, those uh, so-called Christian organizations that deny certain, uh, certain doctrines, cardinal doctrines of Christianity. Many in denominationalism deny the virgin birth for 
example, and many other cardinal doctrines, as they are so often called. You've got atheists among religious groups, don't you? Really, practical atheists especially. So John 3.16 denies atheism. But what does atheism have to offer? We take God out of John 3.16, what would we have left? Absolutely nothing. There would be no love of God. There would be no Son of God. There would be no redemption. There would be no salvation as provided. There's nothing left in the golden text of the Bible if you take God out of that golden text. And that's what the atheist has to offer. He offers you absolutely nothing. And whenever they rob you of the God of the Bible, the God of this universe, they rob you of something that leaves a vacuum that nothing else can possibly fill in your life. And the same thing that happens to John 3.16 also happens to the rest of the Bible, doesn't it? If you take God out. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the very first statement found in Scripture. Take God out of that and what do you have? You either begin there or there is no beginning. Or there are all sorts of fanciful theories about the beginning, the Big Bang, and so many other theories that really, to the honest, objective observer, can clearly be disproved. God is the only logical explanation for the existence of this universe and for the existence of the pinnacle of God's universe, if you will, the pinnacle of God's creation, and that is man. For God. Those two words, God especially, of course, denies atheism. But then we go on, so loved. And that denies deism. Deists are those who say that, yes, an intelligent designer, God created this universe, he set it in motion, and then he left it alone. Even creating man, and then left man to his own devices, and left man to make his own way through this world without God's intervention, without God's care, without God's concern. You can't have so loved in John 3.16 and be a deist. Because loved speaks for itself. John 3.16 says that not only is there a God, but that that God is concerned about His creation. That that God is interested. Now there are many today who've become practical atheists, if you will, by claiming to believe and trust in God and yet not calling on Him in prayer, not obeying Him and becoming His child, not relying on Him, not trusting in Him. And so that's practical atheism, because we're to love him who first loved us, 1 John 4 and verse 19. But when you look at the word so loved, you realize you don't have to make your own way through this world by yourself, because there's someone who loves you, and someone who can help you make your way through this life successfully. God was interested enough to come down and walk among Men, that's how interested God was. It would be a dark and dreary world to believe that God existed and yet cares nothing at all about me. He created me and cares nothing at all about me and has left me to my own devices to make my way through this world. Well, he hasn't. God 
so loved. But notice that he gave. You know what that denies? That clearly denies the prevalent false doctrine in the religious world today called premillennialism, a doctrine that we have, have studied in various ways as we had a series on Calvinism, Calvinistic teaching. Uh, we looked at uh, some premises of uh, various doctrines, and the premise of premillennialism is that, indeed, God came to this earth in the form of Christ, a member of the Godhead, but that he came to establish an earthly kingdom, and that as he came to establish that earthly kingdom, the Jews rejected him. He had not anticipated that rejection. In other words, he did not come here to this earth to sacrifice himself. He came here to reign as a king, but when the Jews rejected him and crucified him, that thwarted his plan, and so he set up the church to last until such time as he'll come again and establish his earthly kingdom. Now that's that's the premise of the most prevalent doctrine of premillennialism, dispensational premillennialism. These words deny that premise completely, do they not? How could John 3.16 say, For God so loved the world that He what? Gave. He gave His Son to die. He knew what was going to happen. He gave Him for that purpose. Jesus knew what was going to happen to Him. He came for that purpose. The fact that this verse says he gave his only begotten son, that he gave him, indicates that it was clearly not an accident. It was known before. It was a part of God's plan. Premillennialism says no, the crucifixion was not a part of God's plan. It happened and God had not anticipated it and then God set up the church to last until such time as the Lord will come again and this time he'll establish his earthly kingdom. That's false to the core and just... These three words prove it to be that he gave. Because this giving refers to what? It refers to the death of God's Son. And John 3.16 says, therefore, that's why Christ came into the world. He came in the world to die. Because he sent him that he might give him. And if God sent him, he didn't send him to set up an earthly kingdom. He came with the mission of establishing a spiritual kingdom, the church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And John 3.16 says so. And so John 3.16 denies premillennialism. But then we have the phrase, only begotten son. And only begotten son denies two major doctrines. Denies Judaism, doesn't it? And it denies modernism. First of all, it denies that Judaism is still in effect today because if Christ has come, then Judaism has ceased to be. Romans 10 verse 4 says, Christ is the end of the law to them that believe. Christ was the purpose of the law. And he fulfilled that law to perfection and took it out of the way Nailing it to his cross, Colossians 2, verse 14. As surely as Christ came into the world, as the Old Testament prophesied, Judaism ceased to be and we are no longer under the law. Passage after passage in the New Testament makes that abundantly clear. But the phrase, only begotten Son, 
makes that abundantly clear as well. If Christ is the only begotten Son of God, then Judaism has ceased to exist. It has ceased to exist. And the Old Testament law, therefore, the law of Moses, has been taken out of the way. Have you ever heard a preacher preach on John 3.16 and then argue for instrumental music in worship, for example, based upon the Old Testament and the fact that God allowed that under the Old Covenant, but nowhere does He authorize it under the New, but they go back to the Old Covenant to try to justify that? Well, if you really read John 3.16, you should know better than that because John 3.16 says whatever is in the Old Testament as a part of that law, a part of that law is gone. Christ put an end to it. doesn't mean that those things that are there written are not written for our learning and for our profit. They are. Paul wrote that, didn't he, in Romans 15.4. The things that were written before time were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Oh, there's so much in the Old Testament that we must understand and appreciate in order to understand the New Testament. But that is not to say that we're under the old law and under the new law at the same time. You can't be under two laws at the same time. The Old Testament, with all of its ceremonies, with all of its sacrifices, with all that pertain to it, has been taken out of the way. Because the only begotten Son has come and He has established His new covenant. But only begotten son also denies modernism. Modernism denies the miraculous, completely denies the miraculous element of Scripture. But only begotten son means that God had only one son like that, only begotten, and that sets him above and apart from every other one. The Jews would say, tragically, that he is a son, a son of God, just like you and I are sons of God. But John 3.16 says otherwise, only begotten, monogenes, only begotten, begotten of God through the Holy Spirit, the miraculous birth of Christ set him apart as unique in every respect, the only begotten of God the Father. He's the only Son God ever had like that, and when it says only begotten Son, it underscores His deity, and so it establishes the virgin birth. It establishes the miracles that He performed, the resurrection that He achieved through the power of God, because they all belong to His deity. And so, John 3.16 denies Judaism, and it denies modernism. But whoever... Whoever denies Calvinism. Remember when we studied Calvinism and part of Calvinism is what? Predestination. The Calvinistic doctrine says that you have been predestinated to either be lost eternally or saved eternally. And that nothing you can do and nothing I can do can possibly alter that. God has that number of individuals who are to be saved and the number of individuals who are to be lost set in stone. And that was set in stone before you ever came into this world. And all that remains for you to do is wait and see whether or not you're among the saved or among the lost. And how are you going to know that? Supposedly by some direct miraculous operation of the Spirit. 
which is not available, not necessary, cannot happen, will not happen, because we have the all-sufficient, all-powerful Word of God that tells us what? Whoever, whoever responds to this Word, that's who will be saved. Predestination on the basis that we've just described it, the Calvinistic definition, is false. The only predestination, and we've talked about this before, that you'll read about in this book, is the predestination that God has determined based on what? A group of people that will be saved. What has God predestinated? He's predestinated that only a certain group will be saved. What group is that? The group that believes obediently in this word and become, become followers of God and Christ. In other words, those in our day, the final dispensation of time, who obey the gospel of Christ, who hear it, who believe it with all their heart, believe that Jesus is the Christ, repent of their sins, confess Him to be the Christ, and being buried with Him in baptism, they're raised to walk in newness of life. They are the whoever that have responded to the gospel of Christ. John 3.16 denies Calvinism denies the predestination of every individual that you're either saved or lost. And I'm so thankful that that's a false doctrine, aren't you? Because you would be completely helpless to do anything about your soul's salvation if Calvinism is true. You just have to wait and see. And what if near your death you realize, well, I haven't had any kind of experience that's, ex that's convinced me that I'm saved, therefore I must be lost. Or how do you want to spend your life waiting for that experience and then having it never come? Well, chances are, if you believe Calvinism and you're waiting for that experience, you're probably going to emotionally invent some sort of experience that will convince you that you were saved. Because that's human nature, not to want to go through life dreading the judgment. And that's another problem with Calvinism in terms of its leading to other false conclusions. But thanks be to God, He has given us His Word, all sufficient, all powerful. And when I obey it, then I can know that I know Him. 1 John 2 and verse 3. But then we have the word believes. And that has to deny universalism, doesn't it? Universalism. The universalists say everyone is going to heaven. John 3.16 says no. Everyone is not going to heaven. That's certainly a nice thought that the universalists try to hang on to. Doesn't matter what you do, God is so good and He is so full of grace and mercy, He's going to save everyone. John 3.16, remember the golden text of the Bible, denies that in the very word believe. And, of course, universalism would be popular today because a man can believe nothing or he can believe anything and be a universalist. But John 3.16 denies it. John 3.16 denies it. But also, as we continue, this golden text of the Bible has these two words in him. And those two words deny sectarianism. They deny 
the church of your choice mentality that exists so prevalently in our world today. Because they confine, they confine the saved to those who are in him. In him, you see, denotes what? In him denotes the unity of all believers. In the television program this morning, we dealt with the Bible question, is it possible for us to all be united in doctrine? There are so many who would answer that question in the negative. They would say, no, God never intended that to be the case, and no, we can never be completely united religiously because that's not what God intended. Yes, it is what God intended, and yes, not only can we be, but we must be united in doctrine if we are to be in Him. Jesus prayed for the unity of all believers in John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, when He said, Neither do I pray for these, the apostles alone, but for all who will believe on them through their word, through the word, that they, all who would believe, may be what? One. One. But notice this. He then adds, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they, all believers for all time, may be one in us. Now, you don't need anything else to know that not only is it possible for us to be united doctrinally, but that's the very thing for which Christ prayed before he established his church. And that's the very condition that existed when the church came into existence, wasn't it? There wasn't a denomination on the face of the earth in Acts chapter 2 when some 3,000 people obeyed the gospel of Christ and were added to the church we read about in the New Testament. The pre-denominational body of believers, the called out from the world, who were called out from the world and are called into Him and therefore are in Him. And the only way to be called out from the world is by a belief in Christ that leads you to repent of your sins, confess Christ, and be baptized for the remission of sins. There are so many people who deny those steps of salvation and who claim that faith alone puts you in Him. That's not what the Bible teaches. In Him denies a divided religious world. You remember what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, they were having some problems with division in the church there. And he wrote to them and begged them to all be of the same mind and of the same judgment. Was Paul begging them to be something that's impossible to be? Well, of course not. He was an inspired apostle. He was begging them to be united completely. And that's what we must be if we are in him. You see, Christ came into the world to break down the barriers that separated the Jew and the Gentile and to make them both what? One. Ephesians 2, 14 through 16 and so many other passages that could be cited. Anyone that has the idea that division is right, that religious division is acceptable to God, ought to consider carefully what the Bible has to say. Not what I say, but what the Bible teaches. And on the other hand, the unity about which the Bible speaks is Bible-based. It's Bible-centered. It's not based upon, let's just agree to disagree. 
That is not the unity that is taught in this book. And I know that we live in a world today where that is more popular than it has ever been in my lifetime. I know it is. The idea that we just accept one another, be tolerant of one another, no matter whether or not what we believe is in harmony with this, let's just be tolerant. You remember I mentioned that when I was in a gospel meeting up near Bowling Green, I heard a brother relate something that he had heard said by someone who said, people want us to be tolerant of each other today. We don't need, he said, to be tolerant of each other when it comes to important matters, especially spiritual matters. We don't need to be tolerant of each other. We need to be respectful. We need to be respectful of each other. And I love that statement because I think it is true. We must always be respectful. But to say, I'm just going to be tolerant no matter what you're doing, no matter what you're practicing, even if it is in complete contradiction to this word, that I'm just going to be tolerant of that, where does that place me? Where does that put me? It puts me in defiance of God's word. And I cannot do that. I want to be respectful. And I hope you want to be respectful of others. But to say we'll just be tolerant no matter what is to go well beyond what the Bible teaches us to be. Respectful, but don't tolerate error. We dare not do that. But then we have should not perish. Should not perish, but have everlasting life. That denies materialism. Materialists say when a man dies, he's like Rover, the dog. He's like Rover. He's dead all over. And there's nothing beyond this life. But perish does not mean annihilate, but it means ruin and destruction in a sense of punishment that will be brought in the one that is lost. And that punishment is eternal. And so, for God denies atheism, so love denies deism, that he gave denies premillennialism. His only begotten son denies Judaism and modernism. Whoever denies Calvinism believes, denies universalism. In him denies sectarianism and should not perish but have everlasting life denies materialism. Now there's the golden text of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's a whole lot in that verse, isn't there? And it leads us to our final thought in the lesson, and that is this. Today many people say, preach the gospel and leave the other fellow alone. Just preach the gospel and leave the other fellow alone. And that gets us back to this tolerance mentality that is so prevalent in the world today. Well, I want to show you the result of that philosophy. Just preach the gospel and leave everyone else alone. We have brethren who would say that, tragically. Well, they say preach positive and not negative. Well, first of all, Paul, remember, said preach the word. And the first thing he wrote after saying preach the word was what? Reprove. Reprove. Rebuke. Exhort. Yeah? Positive and negative. Do you think I ought to do that? 
as a gospel preacher, should you do that if you're a Christian? Should you reprove? Should you rebuke? Should you preach the word? Well, let's see the result of the philosophy that says, preach the gospel, but leave everybody else alone. Can you preach the gospel and leave everyone else alone? Well, let's go to John 3.16. First of all, we've got to leave out God. We have to leave out God. Can't do that because that is going to upset the atheist. We have to leave out loved because that's going to upset the deist. We have to leave out the world because that will upset brethren who say we don't need to be concerned about uh, the world and conveying to the world that, that they are lost. Well, then we've got to get rid of he because that's a pronoun that goes back to whom? God. So you can't have he in there. Then we have to leave out uh, gave. We have to leave out gave because that uh, would uh, offend the premillennialist uh, if we preach that. Then we've got his again, and that's another pronoun, possessive pronoun going back to God, so we have to get rid of, of his. Then we have to get rid of only begotten son because that would offend the Jews and uh, the modernist. Then we have to get rid of whoever because that uh, defend, uh, offends the Calvinist because of predestination and the belief in predestination. Then we have to get rid of believes because that uh, offends the universalist who says you don't have to believe, you don't have to do anything, so we have to get rid of that if we're just going to preach the, quote, gospel as some define it and leave everyone else alone. Then we have to leave out in him because that will, def that will offend the denominational world, the sectarian world because we have to preach the one body of believers that called out from the world. Then we have to leave out perish. We have to leave out perish, because that will offend the materialist who says when we perish, we perish literally, that's it, nothing more. So we have to leave out our teaching on what perish really means. And then we have to leave out everlasting life, because again, the materialist is offended by that. Now leaving out everything that talks about some major error, what do you have left? For so the that that should not but have. And that's a powerful message, isn't it? There's nothing there. It makes no sense. None at all. But it makes as much sense as you'll make if you preach the gospel, quote, and leave everyone else alone. If that's your goal, if that's your goal, it makes that much sense. I personally don't believe in losing that much gospel. And I hope you don't either. We have no alternative but to preach this book, to preach it in love in love of precious souls. How many people realize what it would do to John 3.16 to leave the other fellow alone? Now look at it one more time with me briefly. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a verse that begins with God and ends with man. And there is a great separation between the two, between God and man. What brought that separation about? You did. I did. Because of our sins, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Separated because of sin. That's the problem in the world today. The whole problem of the Bible is solving the problem that resulted in man's sin. Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden because sin separated them. And just as surely as sin separated them in the garden, it separates us today from God. So we have God on one end of the passage and man on the other. And who is right in the middle? Christ. is right in the middle between God and and man. That's the way John 3.16 reads. The only solution to the separation between God and man is in Jesus Christ. The only way God and man will ever be brought together and their relationship restored is through Jesus Christ. But the belief in John 3.16 is not a faith only ad admonition. It's a comprehensive belief that clearly refers to every, every step of obedience that is clearly taught everywhere in Scripture. Believe, yes, begin there with all of your heart that Jesus is the Christ, or die in your sins, John eight twenty four. Jesus said. But Jesus also said, repent or perish, Luke 13, 3. And again at verse 5, change your mind after believing and determine to change your location to be where? In Him. As John 3.16 tells us, confess him to be the Christ because he promised, if you'll confess me before men, I will confess you before the Father in heaven. Matthew 10.32. And then, the same Lord who said, believe or die in your sins, said, unless you are baptized for the remission of sins, you will be condemned. He who believes and is baptized will be saved so clear and yet so confused by the misuse of Scripture by so many, tragically, in today's religious world. What about you? Will you see the golden text of the Bible as it really is intended? Separation between you and God that can only be reconciled by a belief that is obedient belief through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ? And will you be baptized into Christ today? You see, believe in Him. Being in Him is crucial. But to be in Him, one must believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. For as many of you, Paul wrote to the Galatians, as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Have you put Him on? If not, we plead with you to do that. If you need to come home to your first love as a wayward child in repentance and confession of sin that needs to be confessed in that public way, we'll pray with you and for you. To the God who so loved you that He gave His only begotten Son for you. Will you come as we stand and sing? Except God's saving grace, His life.
life on the cross he has given. Oh, come while yet you may. He's earnestly pleading, oh, make no delay. Tomorrow may be too late. Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow may be too late. The judgment day, brother, is coming. Prepare ye for that day. His pardon and mercy he offers. Obey while yet you may. He'll save you from sin and bring sweet peace within. Tomorrow may be too late. Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow may be too late. A home up in heaven is waiting. Oh, make the start today. Repent and confess and be baptized. There is no other way. Give Jesus your life and thus walk in his way. Tomorrow may be too late. Be seated, please. Please turn to 504. 504. Sing the first two verses, prepare minds for the Lord's Supper. Dear Lord, we break the bread in memory of that great sacrifice on this we do each Lord's day as Christ has said bless all disciples now who break the Dear Lord, dear 